Well, good evening, everybody. Uh, upon thinking about tonight, I got to thinking in football, there's four quarterbacks, two that can be on the field, two reserved, and I think maybe I'm the fourth string. <laughs> We're blessed with really good teachers, and so I, there's a lot to to live up to, but you know, I know God is with us tonight, and we'll uh, learn from God's word, just have your ears open and let his spirit fill your heart. Uh, the other part of that, though, is the fact that in baseball, the fourth batter is the cleanup batter. <laughs> so we'll see how this works out. <laughs> okay, so tonight, as Eddie said, we're going to be talking about uh, studying uh, Psalm 134, 135. So if you open your Bibles to those uh, verses, those psalms, and we'll, we'll read them now. Uh, Psalm 134, blessed, behold, bless the Lord, all you servants of the Lord, you who by night stand in the house of the Lord. Lift up your hands in the sanctuary and bless the Lord, the Lord who made heaven and earth. Bless you from Zion. And 135, Praise the Lord, praise the name of the Lord, praise him, O you servants of the Lord, you who stand in the house of the Lord, in the courts of the house of our God. Praise the Lord, for the Lord is good. Sing praises to his name, for it is pleasant. For the Lord has chosen Jacob for himself, Israel, his special treasure. For I know that the Lord is great, and our Lord is above all gods. Whatever the Lord pleases, he does in heaven and in earth, in all the seas and all the deep places. He causes the vapors to ascend from the ends of the earth. He makes lightning for the rain. He brings the wind out of his treasury. He destroyed the firstborn of Egypt, both of man and beast. He sent signs and wonders into the midst of you, O Egypt, upon Pharaoh and all his servants. He defeated many nations and slew mighty kings, Sihon, king of the Amorites, and Og, king of Bashan, and all of the kingdoms of Canaan. And he gave their land as a heritage, a heritage to Israel, his people, O your name, O Lord, endures forever. Your fame, O Lord, throughout all generations. For the Lord will judge his people, and he will have compassion on his servants. The idols of the nations are silver and gold, the work of man's, men's hands. They have mouths, but they do not speak. Eyes they have, but they do not see. They have ears, but they do not hear nor is there any breath in their mouth. Those who make them are like them, so is everyone who trusts them. Bless the Lord, O house of Israel. Bless the Lord, O house of Aaron. Bless the Lord, O house of Levi. You who fear the Lord, bless the Lord. Bless it be the Lord out of Zion who dwells in Jerusalem. Praise the Lord. Well, to start off uh, the short uh, 134, uh, 
is uh, the last of what they call the Song of Ascents, which are a special group of psalms that uh, are comprised uh, 120, Psalm 120 through 134. And each of these psalms in this collection begins with a Song of Ascent. While perhaps they're not originally uh, composed for this purpose, these psalms were later grouped together for the use in traveling towards Jerusalem uh, for the yearly Jewish uh, festivals. And four of these songs are attributed to King David and one to Solomon, while the remaining 10 in that group of ascents um, are unknown. The authors are unknown. So the theme of each uh, of uh, the, the fact is, and I think I mentioned that the purpose of the psalms were to encourage uh, the pilgrims, not the ones at Thanksgiving, but the pilgrims going to uh, Jerusalem. Uh, they were uh, just uh, a, a song of joy and a song of uh, encouragement as they uh, traveled there. And uh, As you know, uh, Jerusalem is on a hill, and it's uh, on a high hill, and, and Jews uh, traveling to Jerusalem for one of the three main uh, festivals uh, that they had would sing these songs as they were ascending the hill, and according to tradition, uh, Jewish priests also sang these songs of ascent as they walked into the steps of the, uh, the temple. and. When Judy and I went to Israel back, gosh, I don't know how many years ago, it's been 15, maybe 20 years ago, uh, we went with a group from San Diego called the um, uh, Mission Valley Christian Fellowship, uh, led by a, a great pastor uh, who we loved, and, and they just did a wonderful job in putting the tour together, but they also had wonderful worship and and as we were climbing the road, the hill, going into the East Gate in Jerusalem, we were singing and, and singing songs, blessing the Lord. And I mean, it, I got to tell you, it was uh, very uplifting to us and very memorable. And so I can imagine what it was like to see thousands and thousands of pilgrims uh, going to uh, Jerusalem during these festivals, which we'll talk about in a minute. Uh, the first and probably most important of the fe festivals was the uh, Passover or the Feast of the Unleavened Bread. And uh, this, of course, uh, is true because this is in the Old Testament outlines how God uh, worked in freeing the Israelites from the bondage of uh, Egypt. Uh, the origins of the Passover or Exodus uh, 12 through 15 are well known throughout throughout the Bible, and they were also memorably uh, uh, depicted in the movie The Ten Commandments, uh, which starred our hero Charles uh, Charlton, not for my cold dead hands, <laughs> Heston, uh, by the the same name, Ten Commandments and Ken, Ten Commandments. It's an old movie and man, it's very memorable. I remember when it first came out and watched it and 
I don't think I know I wasn't saved at that time, and I'm just kind of going, well, this is a pretty good action movie, but I look back on that, and it was pretty darn accurate, you know, in terms of its connection with, with the Bible. It was depicted well. Um, in Exodus 12, the Lord gives instructions for the Passover festival, and Passover occurs uh, in the first month of the Jewish religious calendar. It's called the month of Nisan, which corresponds to March, April, or sometimes May. Uh, and I don't understand that, so I'm not going to try to explain it to you. <laughs> but uh, that's, that's what it does. They have a calendar that is different, of course, than our calendar that we use. And on the evening before the fifth day of the 15th day of the month, the Israelites were to sacrifice a lamb and place the blood above their doorstep, our doorpost. Uh, door and uh, it was to be a sign uh, to the angel of judgment as he flew over Egypt uh, to spare their lives uh, because they were, of course, God's people. Exodus 12, 12 reads for, I will pass throughout the land of Egypt on that night and will strike all firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. So this happened just as the Lord had uh, said it would, and it left the Pharaoh uh, in, in great fear that everybody was going to be killed. So he summoned Moses and Aaron and told them to take their people out of Egypt and admonish them to, to leave immediately. And in preparation for this exodus, the people were to uh, make bread, but without leaven, because they didn't have time to let the bread rise. They had to eat it and get out of Israel. And so they ate their meal quickly, and they knew that the following day would be the day of their deliverance, and it was. And as a memorial to the Feast of Unleavened Bread, uh, it continues to be practiced today. And, uh, certainly a memorial to uh, God's redemption of the is Israelites. While the Old Testament includes many references um, and detailed instructions for Passover, the New Testament, mostly in uh, the Gospels, Mark, Matthew, Luke, and John, the references to Passover are primarily related to the time in which Christ was crucified. And Jesus is, is our sacrificial Passover lamb. His crucifixion, of course, paid the price for all of man's sins, our sins, and his resurrection proof of the almighty God that, that he is. He's our redemption and, and our salvation, and he gives us the hope and promise of eternal life for all of his people, not just simply our protector from a judgment, but giving us the uh, the hope and promise of being with him forever after we leave our earthly bodies and this place around us. The second uh, festival that we'll talk about tonight is called the Pentecost, or also the Feast of the Works. And in the same way that the Feast of the Unleavened Bread celebrates the origination of the uh, exodus from Egypt, the Feast of the Weeks, celebrates the culmination of the exodus to Mount Sinai. 
the Feast of the Week occurs seven weeks and one day <clears throat> following Passover, and thus the Greek term Pentecost, uh, meaning the 50th day. And following the historical accounts in Exodus 19, uh, 1 through 3, of Israel's arrival at Sinai 50 days after the Passover, and the ritual of this celebration includes the giving of grain as an offering to God. It also includes the declaration of God's holiness, whereby at Sinai, God called his people to be holy. Uh, during this festival, uh, grain offerings were given as a free will offering to God and gratitude for his redeeming his people and calling them to holiness. And, and God's spirit descended upon Sinai at Pentecost in Exodus 19, offering uh, Israel grace from in the form of the law and, and a call to holiness. And in the same way, the Holy Spirit uh, was set upon the church, the Christian church at Pentecost in the New Testament, specifically in Acts 2, when the people from many nations and speaking uh, diverse languages were gathered. And uh, Acts 2 verse 2 says, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a rushing of a mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And all those people of diverse cultures and languages began to understand each other. And uh, they obviously were touched, moved, and had the Holy Spirit within them to allow them to do that. And Peter reminded them that the words of the prophet Joel, that God's Spirit will be poured out on them offering the apostles and all that would follow a redeeming grace, enabling them to uh, respond to his call for holiness. So the third festival was uh, called the Festival or the Feast of the Booths and the Day of Assembly. And this uh, festival is a week-long uh, feast that begins on the 15th day of the Hebrew month, Tishrei, and it's roughly late September or mid-October in our modern calendar, and it's also known as the Feast of the Tabernacles, or in Jewish, Sukkot. This feast uh, begins with a collection of palms and willows, and, um, and they're used as a symbol of rejoicing in the Lord. The Old Testament times, all of Israel give up the comfort of their own homes, and uh, they would camp in tents uh, for the entire week, and uh, they're making sacrifices of all types of burnt offerings to the Lord. And this was done in remembrance of their time in the wilderness and um, their exodus from Egypt. The purpose of the feast, uh, the booths, is also to remember giving the law and, and to renew the covenant that was made between Israel and the Lord. And the Feast of the Booths lasted seven days, and on the eighth day, a separate but related holiday was celebrated. That was the Day of Assembly, and on that day, the people were uh, to declare holiness of God, uh, and they also made it a day of rest and where people would dedicate themselves to the Lord. So while celebrating the Old Covenant with God, the giving of the law through Moses, uh, we must remember, too, that this festival reminds us of the new covenant that we have um, that was predicted 
while the old covenant was still in effect, it was predicted by Moses and Jeremiah and Ezekiel. And, and, and that prediction was that uh, the promise that God will uh, forgive sin and restore fellowship with those who had their hearts uh, turned towards him. So our, our Jesus is the mediator of that, that new covenant and his, his death on the cross uh, is the basis uh, of the promise where in, in Luke 22:20 20, Jesus says, this cup is the new covenant in my blood which I, is shed for you. In Psalm 135, as in 134, it starts out similarly praising and blessing the Lord. It's obviously longer and, and really a compilation of many other psalms and scriptures that at least ten, 10 other quotes or near quotes of scriptures from Psalms, Exodus, Deuteronomy, uh, Jeremiah, Isaiah, Job are all found in uh, 135. And this psalm, too, praises God as great for the salvation of his people and celebrates the saving work uh, from the time God visited the plagues on Egypt to the settling of his uh, people in the Promised Land. <clears throat> the exodus from Egypt was the great saving work of God in the Old Testament. It was a sign of what was to come, uh, the great saving work of Jesus. Uh, for the salvation of his people from their sin. So although the psalmist in 135 is unknown, he clearly had a command of the scriptures being able to incorporate so many of them in this particular psalm. There is basically three main uh, points uh, in 135. Uh, God is good in verse 1 through God is strong in verse 5 through 14. God is contrasted against man's idols in verses 15 through 18. And the first point of focus, as you see on the slide, is um, that God is good. Praise the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Praise him, O ye servants of the Lord, you who stand in the house of the Lord, in the courts of the house of our God. Praise the Lord, for the Lord is good. Sing praises to his name, for it is pleasant. So 135 follows 134, which we indicated earlier is considered the last of the Song of Ascents. However, in 135, the pilgrim's journey has already ended. Uh, they're now at the temple. They're inside, and they're encouraging the temple workers and the priests and the Levites and all the servants of the Lord to praise him, for he is good. And sing praises to his name, because it's pleasant and it's a satisfying experience. His goodness to the Israelites is obvious and abundant, and he is worthy of all praises and glory, and his people are called to express uh, their heart, heartfelt gratitude through those praises. And so as it was then, it is uh, now, we too as servants of the Lord are, are called to worship him and to be current and growing in him for while we serve him, uh, it's not his service that he seeks. I mean, after all, our God is the creator of the universe and can do all things. He put the stars in the sky, and 
the earth and all the creatures together. And so really, uh, as it said in Isaiah 64, our works are, are but filthy, filthy rags. And believe it or not, folks, God doesn't need our advice either. I don't know if you've ever tried to give God advice. Uh, I do it sometimes when I really <laughs> should be just praying about it. But seriously, God doesn't need his, our advice. He doesn't really need our service, although he loves us to serve. Um, it's, it's not that that he wants. It's, it's rather the close, loving, personal, growing uh, relationship that we have with him that is his greatest desire for us. And so I think we and or I, for sure, uh, often need to ask myself, how, how am I advancing that relationship with, uh, with God? How am I nourishing it? Um, am I spending enough time in, in the Word? Uh, Am I regularly praying and thanking the Lord for the work he's done in my life and, and the people around me? That's a hard one for me because sometimes I, I'm listening and or trying to listen and I just, I just can't stay still enough. I can't remain quiet enough to hear God's voice. And I don't know about you, but I know that there have been times in my life when where situations otherwise seemed totally impossible, and they became possible. They became perfectly clear, and, and things were totally uncluttered. And upon reflection, I look at that, and I say, those were moments of complete clarity that came when my mind was still and when I was listening and hearing God's direction for me. And I just thank God for those moments that his presence is is made known. And if you've experienced it, it's not something that you quickly forget. It's, it lives with you and within you. So to reach that level of communication with God really should be our desire. And we do that through prayer and through worship and through fellowship. And there's so many ways to, to reach out to God. And I just encourage you, as I encourage myself, to, to do that in every, every way. The second point uh, in of the focus here in 135 is that God is strong, verses uh, 4 through 14. For the Lord has chosen Jacob for himself, Israel for his special treasure. For I know that the Lord is great and our Lord is above all gods. Whatever the Lord pleases, he does in heaven and in earth, in the sea and in all deep places. He causes the vapors to ascend from the ends of the earth, he makes lightning for the rain, he brings wind out of his treasuries. These verses provide the why in terms of why we should praise him. While God's goodness is extolled in the first three verses, it's from his goodness uh, that the, God chose the Israelis or the Israelites, the Hebrews, out of all nations in the world to be his covenant people. For the Lord has chosen Jacob for himself, Israel for his own position. And while these verses conveyed to the Jewish people that Israel was chosen by him, they are also conveyed to us as followers of Christ that we too as believers in Christ are, are his special 
special treasure. His greatness is proclaimed. His demonstrated power makes our Lord above all gods. He, he does what he pleases, and he has control of all things, all places. His power over nature is recounted for who can control the wind, the rain, bring lightning. Only God can do that. And while man has found ways to harness some of those great powers of the Lord, uh, we can't initiate them. That's God's work. That's God's power. And then we go to verse 8. It says, he destroyed the firstborn of Egypt, both of man and beast. He spent, sent signs and wonders to the midst of you, O Egypt, O Pharaoh, and all his servants. He defeated many nations and slew many kings. Sihon, king of Amorites, Og, king of Bashan, and the kingdom of Canaan. And he gave their land as a heritage, a heritage to Israel and his people. These verses, 8 through 12, continue to address the reasons uh, why we should praise God and credit him for the victories over nations that were occupying the uh, promised land. Uh, then there was the power of redemption and deliverance of Israel, and God destroyed the firstborn in Egypt, and that must have been a real wake-up call for the old Pharaoh. Uh, for in ancient times, as in some cultures today, the firstborn carries both uh, the family name, the family fortune, and, and its leadership. And to have this large-scale elimination of Egypt's most influential people uh, must have shook the pharaoh to the bone. And he immediately allowed uh, Israel to leave Egypt. We know about God's creation and about his victory over Pharaoh, but what do we know about Sihon and Og? They're not the most familiar names to us, but they were kings who opposed the entrance of Israel into the Promised Land, and their attack on Israel and their defeat are recorded in Numbers and in Deuteronomy, and they are of particular importance to Israel's history because it was their conquered lands that became part of the promised land. Uh, these verses are uh, wonderful illustrations whereby under the sign of the blood of the sacrificial lamb, uh, the Jewish people were protected, redeemed, delivered, and saved. And as Christians, uh, a legitimate question is, how concerned should we be about all this happening you know, thousands of years ago? Uh, these events to many nations that aren't even around today? Well, the answer, of course, is that our, our church, the Church of Christ Jesus, our Savior, is the Israel of, of God. The Old Testament history is our history. Uh, the spiritual reality of the enemies that seek to devour us is as true for Christians today as it was for Israel in the days of Sihon and Og. We recently concluded our study with, uh, on spiritual warfare, and, and we know from that that uh, our enemy has great power over us. And our, our only defense is the defense that is provided through the Holy Spirit, through our Savior Jesus, through our relationship with him, and the strength that he provides us, not of our own. 
So just as God defeated the nations of old that came against the Hebrews, he'll defeat our enemies as well. These Old Testament writings, this history, this indeed is, is significant to us. We've been set free uh, from the bondage, the bondage of sin, not of Israel or not of Egypt. And just as the Israelites were set free from Egypt, folks, this is, this is us. So these next verses, uh, 13, uh, talk about the perpetuity of God. And of course, perpetuity is, means forever, never ending. You'll, verse 13, your, your name, O Lord, endures forever. Your fame, O Lord, throughout all generations. If you just think about the billions and billions of people uh, with names that have come and gone over time. Just think about uh, the gods of antiquity who have long gone, have been forgotten. But there's one name that transcends all the ravages of time. and His name, as the song goes, is honey to our lips. And to quote from a song that we sang tonight, uh, the lost are saved, they find their way at the sound of your great name. And that great name, of course, is, is our Lord uh, and Savior Jesus. Verse 14, for Lord will judge his people and he will have compassion on all his servants. So we know our God is a God of mercy, uh, but he is also just. And as stated here, he will have compassion on his servants and oh, do I need that compassion? I'm looking forward to it. Lord, fill me with your compassion, please. So the final uh, point and uh, theme in, in uh, 135 where, where God is contrasted with the idols of, of man, the idols of nations are silver and gold. They have mouths, but they do not speak. Eyes they have, but they do not see. They have ears, but they do not hear, nor is there any breath in their mouth. Those that make them are like them, so is everyone who trusts them. Okay, so I suppose uh, we all worship something. Uh, pray that it's always our Lord at first, but we've got to be honest with ourselves. There are things that we cherish. And whether it be money or possessions or things or status, all made by man. Um, and some people are self-worshippers. You don't have to um, look too hard to pick them out. They're pretty much in your face with it. But, and history too is full of, of gods uh, with a small g. And for whatever reason, men have created them and they found it necessary to worship them. But, you know, They've been forgotten. They were made of wood or stone or even silver and gold, but they were all inanimate. Uh, they were mere possessions of things and or money. I know money for sure. Uh, money allows you to flourish in your sin. It allows you to buy more things. It makes you feel important and superior. And the love of money is said to be the root of all evil. And we know that that's really true. I just think about all the wrong that has been done in the quest for money, dollars. Crime of theft and fraud and embezzlement, all types of corruption, but more seriously, kidnaps and drugs and murder and 
all perpetrated uh, for money. But it said it's here that those gods, no matter what their form, they had mouths, eyes, and ears, but they could not speak, see, or hear, and they had no breath. They were dead. They were not living. And isn't it true that, you know, we can begin to cherish those possessions and things so much, and we just emulate um, those things and, and the gods that we worship, whatever they are. We become blind and deaf and without life as we're immersed in our quest for really the meaningless folks. And I know I'm guilty of that sometimes. I, I pray that I look away when I <laughs> see those things that I just think are so important because the Bible tells us and is very clear about it that all this, all these things on this earth are going to burn. They're going to be gone. And It'll boil down to just you and God. God on the judgment seat, me on my knees, and I'll be looking at him and praying that I've had a close, enduring, loving relationship with him because I'm going to need that mercy that he uh, so willingly gives. On to the final verse, three verses. We're running out of time. I'm sorry I've gone so long. There are 12 tribes of, it says, blessed be the Lord, the house of Israel, blessed the Lord, O house of Aaron. There are 12 tribes of Israel that are called to bless the Lord here. And the house of Aaron is called specifically in that verse. And Aaron, as you recall, is not only Moses' brother, but he was also his able assistant and considered strong. And he was Moses' spokesperson. And Aaron was the uh, brother, one of the two that, um, men that, that helped Moses' uh, arms be held up uh, with his staff of the Lord as Joshua fought the Amicalites. And you'll remember that every time he raised his hands and he got so tired he had to sit down. And then they had to hold his arms up. And every time they did that, the, Joshua would prevail in winning. Uh, Aaron and his sons were anointed as uh, God's uh, by God as priests of Israel, and he was also a Levite. So verse 20 says, Bless the Lord, O house of Levi. You who fear the Lord, bless the Lord. We know the Levites are called not only as priests, but also as caretakers and guards of the holy places in the temple. Verse 21, Blessed be the Lord out of Zion who dwells in Jerusalem. Praise the Lord. The name Zion here is used to describe the place appointed by the Lord where his followers can live and serve God in peace. Scripture refers to Zion as a city of holiness, a city of refuge where the Lord protects his people from the evils of the world. And Mount Zion, one of the hills in Jerusalem, has been within and outside the walls depending on who the conquerors were of Jerusalem, uh, but it symbolically refers to the whole of Israel and is synonymous with Jerusalem. And Mount Zion also is the location of King David's tomb. So as 135 begins with calls to praise, bless the Lord, so it ends. The, poem, uh, the psalm ends uh, by telling people, bless the Lord. While similar to praise the Lord or hallelujah, it seems to me that the difference in blessing the Lord um, is an expression of not only praise for him, but also our love. Um, 
There are many who are well-versed in scripture that have come to church regularly. They're good people for sure, but most important to God is to have that Holy Spirit within us, to have a heartfelt personal relationship with him, that loving, caring uh, relationship is what he desires of us. It guarantees us our eternity, as we learned last week, our communication with God through prayer, through prayer and his great strength is provided through his Holy Spirit. So let us speak to him daily in everything that we do. Let us be strong in him and rely uh, not on ourselves, but uh, on him. And let's not be afraid to ask him uh, to help us in our lives, no matter what the problem is. And let's just pray that uh, we, for others and, and just cherish other people's prayers for us. Let's pray now and, and close. Lord, thank you for this time together with you. We love to be with your people and to study your word. We pray, Lord, that we seek you daily. Uh, that we're filled with your spirit, that it overflows in us, Lord. We pray that we surrender to your will and, and not impose ours. We ask that you control our lives, that we are used as vessels for your works. Lord, let us continue to praise and bless you. For you're the good and you're strong and you're the only true God. Let your mercy just rain on us, Lord. Let your saving grace redeem us and draw us closer to you, please, Lord. As we leave this place tonight, we just pray we apply what we've learned here in our everyday lives that we bring glory to your name and that it's in the name of Jesus, our Savior, we pray. Amen.